The opinions expressed on The Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Can buy me love. Water beer afternoon. It's Rob Port 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. Ben's out today. Eric's in. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. Stayed up too late watching the uh, stupid Twins last night. Yeah. Twins Yankees have, win the extra innings, too. Did they? I think the Twins, and I don't have the official story in front of me, but the Twins have now, I believe, set a major league record for walk-off losses at the start of the season. This is their eighth walk-off loss as they lost in the 14th inning last night. That's tough. And I think they've that's, only won two. That's a record nobody wants. No. Nobody no. wants that record. And that's a gut blow. I mean, you, you can lose, and that's all right. But when you keep getting walked off, that uh, that uh, that that takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. It does. I mean, it, it demoralizes you. And then, I mean, the thing about baseball, too, is it's a marathon, right? They play pretty much every day. And so I think momentum's a big deal. And, and so when you... When you're constantly getting gut punched like that, I mean, every every team, even the best teams that go on to win the World Series, will have a cru- a cruddy. I mean, because it's a long season and they'll have a cruddy stream of games. Um, but to get gut punched that many times, mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard to get the players up for the game. Yep, Twins can't score any runs, and uh, pitching's been fairly decent. But you can't keep putting up zeros forever. You got to put up some yeah. runs. So, yeah. That's the Yankee fan. The actual, actually, the opposite problem. I, I complain as we continue to win series after series. But I hate you. Yeah, it's uh, our problem is our our starting pitchers have been letting too many runs. But we beat the Astros last night in extra innings. Which is had good. no business to. We committed like seven errors. We had seventeen strikeouts in ten innings. We had no business winning that game, but we won anyway. Uh, all right. So what do we got going on the show here today? We have, uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about school shooting. They had this new video game out, Active Shooter, uh, and it, or it's coming out or something like that. Anyway, and part of the game, people are upset because, I mean, obviously, the subject matter to begin with, mass shootings, school shootings, um, emotionally fraught for obvious reasons. And a lot of people are upset because a part of the game, you could play as the shooter. And so a lot of people think, well, this is the sort of violent video game that contributes to School shootings. I don't. I don't buy that violent video games contribute to school shootings. But now we have a member of Congress who says uh, it's porn that contributes to school shootings. I saw we'll that talk. story. Hello, yeah. welcome to the 21st century. Hello. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Also coming up on the program, uh, we're going to have uh, Secretary of State candidate, Democratic State Secretary of uh, State candidate Josh Boucher. It's the first time I've had him on this program. Uh, since his Republican opponent, Will Gardner, imploded. Uh, we had Al Jagger, uh, who is now going to be, um, I imagine eventually, as this process unfolds, he's going to be on the, the general election ballot as an independent, uh, the North Dakota Republican Party. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm told they haven't done it officially yet, but we'll be endorsing him, um, and then he'll be the opponent. But this is the first time I've had Josh on the program since all that happened, and we'll get an update on his campaign. Also, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on the program, of course, taking your phone calls, which you can call in at any time, 701-293-9000, You can email me, talk at WDAY.com. You can also tweet me, at Rob Port. Um, 
And the other thing I want to talk about, because the, the Democrats, and I, I talked about this yesterday as well, but I think it's kind of funny. And I wrote a post about it, going back and looking up some of the things that, that North Dakota Democrats said about Donald Trump back in 2016, and now flash forward to 2018, and they're all, oh, Donald Trump likes Heidi Heitkamp more than Kevin Kramer. It's it's an amazing 180, and I, I just, I, it's audacious. I'll give them that. I, I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of laughing about it. All of the the hate that North Dakota Democrats have invested in Donald Trump, uh, all of a sudden now a 180 on it, saying, "Oh, but look at how look at how much he likes Heidi Heitkamp." They were calling him vile in 2016. They were demanding that that North Dakota Republicans distance themselves from Donald Trump. Now in 2018. All of a sudden, it's, oh, look how close Heidi Heitkamp gets to stand to Donald Trump at this press opera. It's amazing. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, all right, let's talk about porno being now the um, – it's a Republican uh, member of the House of Representatives, uh, Chairman uh, Chairwoman uh, Diane Black. She's a Republican from Tennessee. She's uh, the, the chair of the House Budget Committee. Uh, and during a hearing uh, on March 16th, uh, or excuse me, that wasn't during a hearing, uh, she came out and she, she blamed pornography as well as a host of other culture issues. So it's not just singularly pornography, Eric, in her defense. I can't see one inkling of a tie between school shootings and porn. All right. Well, here, this, this is her argument. She's running to be governor of Tennessee, by the way, stepping down from Congress, running to be governor of Tennessee. Because uh, I think the, is it the, the current governor is running for the Senate, right? He's a Democrat. Could be. Isn't, I don't follow Tennessee politics too closely. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, kind of a conservative Democrat guy is running for the Senate. Anyway, um, she's running for the governor of Tennessee. She made the comments while speaking to a group of ministers during a listening session recently, uh, according to the Huffington Post, which reported the story and included audio and remarks. Uh, the comment about pornography the comment about pornography came as black wondered what was driving some children to such violent ends what makes them do that she said because as a nurse i go back to root causes then she listed a couple of those these root causes which included pornography uh, as well as deterioration of the family and violence in movies uh, pornography it's available it's available on the shelf when you walk in the grocery store she said uh, yeah you have to reach up to get it uh, but there's pornography there all of this is available without parental guidance, and I think that is a big part of the root cause. Well, first of all, I like the, the thing there about parental guidance. Which, mm-hmm. I, who's watching porn with their parents? I, I do agree with part of her comment, the one part of the family, the deterioration yeah. of the family structure, because you look at the lives of the last couple of, of shooters, and they did have kind of a blown-apart family or a very little family structure at all. And I, I could I, see that part of a tie-in. I think that's a valid point, and I want to get to that in a moment. The other thing she says, though, with the violence in movies, the violence in video games, I don't know that the problem you have with that is if that's true, if if watching porn, first of all, she's talking about, you know, porn's available on the store, on the shelf at the grocery store. I, I'm telling you, there's easier places to get porn these days than the shelf at the grocery store. And what do you think the percentage is? I don't have it officially in front of me, but I know it's fairly high. What what portion of American uh, adults have looked at some sort of porn online? And I think that number is like 40, 50, 60 percent. So you'd have yeah. a heck of a lot of school shooters. Also, well, also, like as as porn has got uh, Pornhub, I think, is like the fifth or sixth most visited website in the United States. 
I was just looking at a rank like Drudge Report was up there and some of the like the national news sites, New York Times and that. Pornhub's number five. Mm. Okay. As a matter of fact, I think Pornhub got more visits than Drudge, which is pretty remarkable. Um, so anyway, a lot of people watch it porn. Meanwhile, violence in America is down. And it's the same argument. Everybody who wants to blame the school shootings, whatever it is they're blaming it on, right? Conservatives, they want to blame it on violent video games or violence in the media or or porn in this instance. And then you go to the left and they want to blame it on, oh, access to guns and everything else. Uh, and it's I don't think it's any of those things. I think it's an indivi- I think it's an individual issue. Right. I, I think it's I think it's the person. I think it's people who are struggling in one way or another. They feel alienated. Um, maybe they, they've latched on to some extremist uh, political views or religious views. And uh, for whatever reason, they've, they've chosen to express their anger, to express their hatred, to express their angst through violence. And mass shootings have become the, the violence, the violent medium of choice. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how much attention they get. And it's, I mean, it's really interesting. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and one of them, they were discussing this the other day, about how we don't have as many serial killers today as we used to. Have you noticed that? Like, we don't, I mean, there's some. There was just a guy up in Canada, I think, right? He was burying people in the planters. Mm-hmm. So there's still some. But, I mean, you roll back to, like, the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, you had, like, Ted Bundy, you had John Wayne Gacy, you had Gary Ridgway, you had Robert Hansen, you had the Golden State Killer, like you're talking about. Um, It was different, and and it was really the same sort of people, right? People who maybe had problems in their childhood, people who had mental illnesses, people who felt isolated, people who felt alone, whatever their maladies were, they were expressing it violently, but they were doing so with with these sort of highly ritualized killings. And now in the modern era, it's different where we've got these like mass shootings like it's 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 almost it's like the same impulse, but it's it's a different style. And I, I, I don't, and I don't know. I, I wonder if there's something to that. I think that's an interesting thing worth discussing. I don't know if it's, but I, I think what we've got to stop looking to are these sort of, these exterior influences. Cause I, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people in America, like you were saying, Eric, 50, 60% of the population, whatever that number is, has looked at porn. Right? I mean, and, and, and despite the fact that porn has proliferated in our society, movies have gotten more violent, movies have gotten more explicit in their sexual contact, television the same way, video games are violent, video games are sexualized. Think what you want about these things, and we all have different levels of taste and different levels of morality or whatever, and, and we all have different opinions about that stuff. But if that stuff really made people more violent, then why is violent crime in America down? Across the board. Gun crime is down. Murder is down. Sex crimes are down from where they were decades ago. I mean, the trend is down. You'll see some blips, some up and down, but for the most part, the trend is down. So, I mean, if these things were true, access to guns. I mean, look at all look at all the guns that were sold under the Obama administration. Where's the explosion in crime? There hasn't been one. And it's because, you know, it's, 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 it's just an absolutely goofy thing, but that's what she's saying. Um... This is from the Washington Post. Uh, Blacks, this, again, this is uh, talking about uh, Congresswoman Diane Black. She's a gubernatorial candidate, Republican for uh, Tennessee, saying porn is why we have school shootings. This is from the Washington Post. 
Um, Black's remarks were among the latest attempts to explain a United States high number of mass shootings. Liberals and other advocates of stricter gun control point to statistics that indicate the prevalence of guns is the single most important variable when, when examining why the United States has more mass shootings than other countries. Many conservatives in the National Rifle Association point to other causes, including intense news coverage of mass shootings, video games, abortion, and a lack of religion, inadequate control of entry into schools, and even the act of going to school itself. I, listen, I, I think the problem is they're all wrong. I, I think the thing is, is, is individuals, individual people, for reasons that are often complicated that have to do with a nexus of mental health and, and ideology and religion, uh, all you know, on a case depending on which specific incident we're talking about, narcissism, it's a nexus of those things, and then the, them them choosing to act out of that place of hate or that place of anger or whatever, act out in 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 the way of a, of a mass shooting. That's what's going on. The problem is, is it's complicated, and I don't know that there's a a line that you can draw through all of the, despite the the fact that the medium chosen for the violence is similar. Other than that, I don't know that there's a necessarily a line you can draw through all of them. I, I think it's it's a natural human tendency to want to find patterns, but there may not be one. The only the only consistency here may be that people who are disaffected, people who are mentally ill, people who are angry and decide from those problems to commit an act of violence are choosing mass shootings. They're probably choosing mass shootings because they're seeing them on television all the time. They know that's a way to get a lot of attention. I think that's probably the only underscoring theme. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Eric, we were talking about this, this, uh, Congresswoman, she's running for governor. She's a Republican out of Tennessee who's blaming uh, school shootings on porn. You know, Eric, the other day I saw a uh, a public opinion poll, and it was about who who do we blame for for mass shootings, right? And the poll asked respondents. They gave them. They asked them a series of of like like they said like the National Rifle Association, Congress, I guess for their unwillingness to act on on gun control. Um, you know. President Trump. I mean, it was a whole list of, of mm-hmm. people and, and entities, right? Organizations. And then you were supposed to say, like, you know, how much blame, you know, and it's like a lot, some, none, you know, something. It was it was that sort of a poll. The one option people didn't get for who to blame for mass shootings was the shooter. Right. And I feel like that's just sort of perfectly emblematic for this debate that we're having. It's like we've almost lost sight of the people who are actually committing these crimes and instead are so busy talking about, like, trying to loop in all our personal political bugaboos, whether it's guns or porn or what have you, loop them all into this debate, and it's absurd. I do think that, that you may and I wanted to circle back to what you said, though. The the one thing, because this is, uh, again, this is Congresswoman Diane Black running for governor in Tennessee. The one thing is she said that it's, it's not just porn, uh, but she also thinks that it's... Um, the deterioration of the family and violence in movies. I don't think violence in movies, but you said you agreed with her on deterioration of the family. I agree with you and would even take it a step further, saying not just the family, but also the community, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not just, I mean, the kid, I mean, obviously family first and foremost, but, you know, you send that kid out into the world. So now there's teachers, there's coaches, there's, you know, 
Cub Scout leaders. There's, I mean, there's a whole community of, of adults who aren't necessarily the family who are around these kids. Is there more? And I'm asking this question. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know the answer. Is there more we could be doing for these kids to, to maybe notice a, a kid who's having problems? Right. I, I think mental illness obviously plays a part of uh, what we're seeing with some of these uh, these shooters, whether it's at a business or at a uh, school, but especially the young ones. It seems like, you know, there's, there was obvious signs that there were issues as we go back and after the shooting happens. It's like a little Johnny was posting up on social media about shooting people and killing people. Nobody's checking that. Or if they've, they're seeing it. It's it's just not getting to the appropriate areas or the parents are just in denial of saying, well, he'll be okay. He hasn't done anything. And a lot of these circumstances or the shooters have gone haywire. They hadn't really done anything up to that point. But at some point, there's going to be an action yeah. that there possibly could be. One other thing I just wanted to bring up real quick since we're on this topic. You know, the governor of Texas came out with uh, some sort of plan now to help prevent school shootings in the state of Texas. And one of the things, and I don't know if you saw this story today, Rob, but he was talking about adding more law enforcement to schools. And I'm like, yeah. well, my first thought is uh, the last shooting that happened in Texas, there were two true, uh, I think there were deputies yeah. in the school already, and they almost got there instantaneously. The point is if a school shooter is going to walk in, you don't know he's going to do it, he whips out a gun. I don't care how many police officers you have unless you have one in every classroom, Unless you create a happen. police state, unless right. you're creating a police state there, where we, and I, I don't think we want that either. I'm not a fan of putting cops in schools, and I realize that that's an unpopular position right now because people are very for uh, for obvious and understandable reasons that I share. People want to protect the schools, and we want to protect something. Who do we turn to? Well, we turn to our brave men and women of law enforcement who do a pretty darn good job of protecting us. Um, my problem with putting cops in schools, though goes beyond i mean because school shootings for, for as much attention as they get and, and for as much as we've had a spate of them recently are still very rare um in the context of just the number of schools that we have in this country i mean they don't they don't actually happen that often and so my problem is is that you put a cop there and you put him there for the reason of a school shooting more than likely that cop's going to be involved in a lot of other stuff and I, I think the problem is you start even the school resource officers i give me pause and the reason why is because a cop is a cop, and a cop has a set of tools and a set of training at their disposal to treat people a certain way. And, and so I, 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 and they have those tools and they have that training for a good reason because their jobs are to treat criminals. The problem is you put them in schools, and now all of a sudden, a school fight. You have a cop breaking up, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a, a little bit of pugilism going on in the locker bay or something between a couple of, couple of meatheads. Um, now all of a sudden I think that escalates because there's a cop there and a cop's going to react to something like that, like a cop would. I, I'm just curious, uh, and I don't know if you saw this a few weeks ago, and I don't have the exact numbers, but a, a generalization of it, they're talking about school shootings by country. And the United States is like mind-numbingly like way ahead of everybody else. I think we've had close to like, I don't know, 180 of them or, or mass shootings in general. And then they started listing other countries yeah. and like 99% of the other countries were under five. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, the, the problem with lists and stuff like that sometimes is, is the definition of what we're defining as a mass shooting. Um, and that could be problematic. I, I think you remember earlier this year, there was, what was that? Every town for gun violence, they were counting 
like school shootings that were like somebody who got shot within like a block of the school or something. So now it had absolutely nothing to do with the school at all, but it was a crime committed near the school. And now all of a sudden they're counting that as a school shooting. Those numbers can be played with. I, you've got to be careful, you know, and especially because crime, crime gathering statistics, even here in the United States has been a struggle. Like a lot of times people go to the FBI and I've done some work with the, um, the, uh, the, the, the FBI's crime databases and they've, uh, in fact, not so long ago here in, in North Dakota, we saw kind of a jump in, in our crimes because we changed the way we were categorizing crimes and we changed the way we were counting them and we're changing it for the better. Like we're trying to change it in ways that are understandable, but also when you count things differently, you produce different numbers, which can make things look differently. I remember for a long time, we had an issue where like, like America had a really bad infant mortality rate. Well, that's because we count an infant mortality like as a baby that dies, you know, from the minute it's out of the womb. Other places, like, they don't count it as an infant mortality if the child dies within a day of coming out of the womb. They won't even count it. So statistically, you got to be careful with some of that stuff. But, yeah, America's got a lot of guns. And for whatever reason, America's a more violent culture. Uh, I, 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 but I, I don't think that has to do with the presence of guns so much as us as a society. I'm not saying there's not a problem. I'm just saying maybe the problem's not what a lot of people are identifying it as. More to come straight ahead here on 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're out report 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. Well, you know, yesterday, Eric, during this show, the uh, news that Roseanne was canceled broke pretty much during this show. And uh, I think a lot of people, including myself, were... Um, I, I don't know. I probably at, at that time yesterday were probably a little bit, you know, what what to make of it all. Um, now that about 24 hours have gone by, um, I don't know. I still think it was the right decision for ABC to do it. Yeah, I absolutely think it's the right decision. And people have to remember this is not the first time in recent weeks that Roseanne has made some controversial comments. And I would not be What's surprised if not, ABC had already told her, it's like, knock it off. But it's, this it's is not over the, the first time in the last few decades. Right, <laughs> right. I have, I can't even rationalize what she said there. I And now I know she's trying to blame a little bit of it on her Ambien. And yeah, like, a- Ambien, Ambien came back with a statement, by the way. I saw it. I'm reading, and it's made from a, uh, <laughs> it's made, uh, Sanofi, I guess, is the drug company that makes it. They they posted a statement on Twitter. They said people of all races, religions, and nationalities work at Sanofi, Sanofi, I don't know how to pronounce it, right. every day uh, to improve the lives of people around the world. While all pharmaceutical treatments have side effects, racism is not a known side effect of any Sanofi yeah. medication. So there you yeah, go. And she's been questionable in that area before. You know, the the one argument that I could even give, like, 0.5% is, you know, she claimed immediately it was a joke. Obviously, it's a horribly uh, spoken joke. But we've had comedians over the years that have said provocative things. I can't think of maybe something quite yeah, to this level, except for I Michael don't wanna, I mean, I don't. I'm, you know, he went off and yeah. he basically got blacklisted forever. Star, one of the stars of Seinfeld. Did you ever see, by the way, yeah, he was he played Kramer on, on right. Seinfeld. Did you ever watch that show, um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? It's Jerry Seinfeld's thing. I did not watch it. I, I knew about it's it. A, but. It's, a great, it's a great little interview show. The, the, the episodes are relatively short. And, you know, they, they drive like a, like a, like a funny, because Jerry Seinfeld's a car nut. So they, they drive a different, like, rare collectible car every time 
and uh, and then he goes and gets coffee, just talks to them. And he did he did an episode with Michael Richards where he talked about it. Um, and it was it was poignant. I mean, it was it was really really good. No excuse, but there is the argument again, well, like Amy Schumer, for example, if you've ever listened to her stand off, she will make some racial jokes, but she didn't specifically or doesn't specifically name somebody. And that's the difference with, you know, with Roseanne Barr, she picks on one person and then basically calls her an ape and she's African-American, which again, does not make any sense. But that was, that was a part of, I think her initial defense to see if she could hide, hide under, well, it was a joke. It was just a bad joke. But it was unbelievably insensitive. I, I can't even think of what else yeah. you could put on top of that to make it any more insensitive than the way she put it. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing though, and, and let me, I mean, let me, let me make this point though, because we have seen a number of conservative women. I mean, most recently Sarah Huckabee Sanders at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, who have been subjected to attacks on the way they look. Um, now, obviously, those attacks were not necessarily racial in 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 tone, uh, but I mean, is calling Sarah Palin a bimbo any different? You know, I mean, we've we've seen a lot of this, and I don't I don't want to get into a situation where entertainers, comedians, heck, even political commentators like me can't say provocative things. Um, you know, that said, I I don't know. I I think I think once you trace you know step trapes into the area of of race. You know, that's something else entirely, but uh, it, it's a hard thing. Um, I, I did, I was, you know, just kind of reading up because Roseanne Barr went and got, because she said she was leaving Twitter, and then she said that she she was apologizing, and then I guess overnight she was, like, back on Twitter. Somebody, I think, needs to, I mean, we were just talking about, like, family or whatever needed it. Somebody in Roseanne Barr's inner circle needs to intervene and, like, take the smartphone away for a while. Get this lady off Twitter just just for her own good. What is it, Stop. Kathy Griffin? I mean, yeah. for her, the best thing is she finally realized disappear for a little while after her yeah. Trump head comedy bit. See, but the, and that's that's the thing. I mean, I I thought what happened with to Kathy Griffin was was fine. Not I, I know that some people got abusive with her and stuff, and that wasn't fine. But you know, the people deciding to sort of cut ties with her that was fine. I mean, the, the decapitated head that was awful. That was that was. I don't care what you're political persuasion is republican or democrat i i felt that was totally inappropriate especially of a president whether it was barack obama's head or not even not even a president if it was her her i don't know if it was her pediatrician right i mean that's not that's not okay it doesn't matter who it was that's that was not okay um it was it was distasteful uh so i don't know some of the stuff though i mean she was asking people not to defend her you know, saying that what she said was indefensible. Please don't defend me. Um, so, and, and even the Ambien thing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, she threw it out there. She was on Ambien, which I guess, I don't know, means that she let her guard down. But the problem is, is if, is, well, I, I was on something, like I was on drugs or I was on alcohol, my guard came down. Well, if your guard comes down and then racism comes out, I feel like that's still problematic. Right. <laughs> that's most likely inside there. That's the point. Right. It's like I was I'm not racist most of the time because I'm sober. I'm only racist when I'm on I'm under the influence, I guess is her argument. When I'm dumb enough to finally admit it. Yeah. Uh so I don't know. The the whole thing was was just kind of crazy. I, would you have been okay, Eric, if they had decided to 
continue the show, if, if they had found a way to continue the show without Roseanne? Well, <laughs> some people, and I thought this was pretty funny because, you know, they killed John Goodman off, the Dan character, her husband, at the very end of, of Roseanne on the in the very first run. And in my brain, I thought, you know, why not just knock off Roseanne and have somebody else pop up? I saw somebody said Kathy Bates or or somebody else just have them pop up as Roseanne. I do feel, just to switch a partial topic here on this particular show, I do feel bad for the rest of the characters, the cast, the writers, and everybody because most of them were ready to quit because of what she did, but they're good people, and now they're out of a job where they could have made millions upon millions of dollars because yeah. it was the number one show Well, well they, had just, they had just signed for another season. Yes. Yeah. They had just signed for another season. They were all counting on another season worth of work as actors, as writers, as producers, and everything else. Very talented and, group. Uh, and now it's all done, which is uh, which is really too bad, and it's really too bad because I I did think that the the show was was potentially an important cultural touchstone on well well the cultural divide that we have yep. in this country right now that they, we're all struggling with. Yep, they in their first run they did talk about uh, and had episodes about some very controversial topics. Didn't have any problem with that, and they were starting to touch on some of that stuff again with their. Uh, recent recent episodes well, that's, and, and that's good art yeah. i mean good art does that yeah right good art makes you feel uncomfortable i was just reading somewhere the other day i was reading an article where uh oh what was it huckleberry finn and to kill a mockingbird were being banned to kill a mockingbird in particular were being banned and like the news article said well we're banning these things because it makes people feel uncomfortable the book's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable you right. idiots that's the point of the art so basically, it, we're going back to the book burning times of the '60s. Is that what we're I doing? Guess. Just I to guess. find it a different way. Speaking of book burning, you see that new Fahrenheit 451 series that's on HBO? Was it a movie or a series on HBO? I remember. Wasn't there? Was there an, a movie or what was it? I remember that title, but I don't remember where it was from. Well, there's it's a famous book by Ray Bradbury okay. from a while back, and it's about it's about people like firemen. In the future, firemen they don't put out fires; they burn books. Um, and they, they did a remake of it on HBO. Anyway, I haven't okay. seen it yet. Uh, let's see. Emailer says, uh, we were uh, going back to our uh, topic of the first segment, talking about the school shootings, and there was a Republican congresswoman blaming it on porn. Uh, emailer says, it seems like there's more mental illness in the world nowadays. I don't know if that's just an assumption or if there really is and what might be causing it. Uh, the state hospitals closed in the beginning of the 80s, and I think a lot of it was for good reasons. They started to mainstream a lot of people that were in there and were nonviolent, but I think there was a lot of violent people there that also got released into the community. Just wondering what you thought of that. Boy, that's a complicated issue. Mm. First of all, I, I don't know that there's more mental illness in the world. I feel like we're diagnosing more of it. Right. I would agree with that. It's more I think it's more I think it's more that, that we understand. Yep. Our body of knowledge about mental illness and mental maladies has expanded. I, I think we're getting better at it. And that's that's to the good. We're understanding it better. We still have a long ways to go. But compared to even a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, you're right. As, as, as opposed to closing down the state hospitals, um, you know, we struggled with that here in North Dakota. We still have, uh, they call it the Life Skills of Transition Center up by Grafton. There was just a debate in the legislature about a study possibly looking at closing that facility down. That's an ongoing debate about these days. What's the best way to treat the mentally handicapped Um you know, putting them in the communities, that's certainly the most favorite approach now, or having them institutionalized. I don't know. 
but it's with with all these mass shootings going on it's it's probably a pertinent question again 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com we'll be back right after this don't go away welcome back rob port 970 wdym 93.1 fm 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com coming up in the next hour got a couple of interviews uh Josh Boshe, uh, state representative, uh, Democrat for District 44. He's going to be on the program. He's also candidate for Secretary of State, obviously. Uh, he's going to be on. First time he's been on since the whole uh, Will Gardner thing happened. We'll get an update from him on uh, on that race. Because for him, the dynamic of that race changed uh, very quickly. I mean, really, back during... Uh, Back before the conventions, back when Will Gardner was in the race and Al Jagger was still in the race, and it was a competition between Al Jagger and Will Gardner for the NDGOP nomination, uh, Boshe and Gardner were, were both saying a lot of the same things about Al Jagger. And I feel like once Jagger was out of the race, that kind of took some of the wind out of the sails for Josh Boshe because he was really campaigning against Jagger. Right. About, you know, that that Jagger wasn't doing enough to update the technology in the office, that he wasn't doing enough to update the techniques and we needed a new approach, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Gardner was saying the same thing. And so I, I really thought that that was probably to Gardner's benefit, because most of what Boshe was was campaigning on was Jagger's job performance. And if Jagger's not going to be in the office anymore, that's irrelevant. But now Jagger's back in the race and suddenly, Eric, that's all relevant again. Yeah, it's crazy, although you had an interview with Mr. Jagger, and it sounds, you know, this technology argument that they're putting out there, it sounds like a lot of the technology that they're wanting is already in the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, the problem is is that being in the pipeline is not the same thing as it being in place the last few years. And you can still make the argument, why did it take so long to get to that point? It's a fair thing. Jagger's going to have to answer those questions. But anyway, we'll talk with Josh Boucher about this. I mean, it's that's going to be an interesting race. And like I said, first time he's been on, um, you know, also since his sexuality was made an issue, Eric, some have been trying to, 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 to equate other talk show hosts have been trying to equate what Gardner did, uh, as somehow equivalent with, with Josh Bosse's sex, sexuality. Now he, he himself, of course, has, has made it, you know, well publicly known that, that he is the first, first openly gay, not our first gay lawmaker, mm-hmm. but our first openly gay right lawmaker, uh, in state history. That's certainly, you know, been a part of his, his political profile, uh, and some suggesting that his orientation is somehow um, relevant, I guess, to, to Will Gardner, which I, I thought was just repugnant. Um, I, I don't understand why anybody would bring that up. Well, I, I love people that cast stones, but there's actually stones or things in their closet that could be cast right back. So yeah, watch what you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, for my part, in terms of uh, Mr. Boucher's sexuality, I just hope as a fellow human being that uh, yep. he gets love and respect and support from whoever he chooses to love. To be honest, I'm 100% about the issues. If he can make the yeah. state better and easier to use some state features and yeah. does his job. The only way it would ever become a matter of, of like he was like uh, kicking back state contracts or something to his uh, to a significant other. OK, now it's an issue. Uh, but again, really nothing to do with his sexuality. Uh, there's a church in, uh, California, Eric, that says that they're going to stop calling the police. They're never calling the police again. They say, does this have, well, I guess I don't know what it would have to do with what it was. It's the, the first issue? congregational church of Oakland. It has to do with the issues like with, uh, the Starbucks issue where the police were called on the two African-American gentlemen okay. who were sitting in the lobby. 
They're saying that when you call up the police, the police are racist. So they're not going to call the police anymore. Oh, okay. Well, which I think I was, I think they, and, and it's, it's not, I'm reading here. This is from reason magazine. Uh, they call it divesting from police. The church is part of a tiny, but growing movement among liberal houses of worship around the nation, making similar vows. They include another church in Oakland, one in San Jose and one in Iowa city, Iowa. Well, that's a strange geography, but all right. Uh, it's mostly white ministers and a majority white congregations leading the efforts, which come as debates over racism, stereotypes, and the role of law enforcement hit universities, businesses, and neighborhood councils across the United States. Um, yeah, so basically they're saying like if – and it was interesting because if you read further in the article, people are like, well, what are you going to do if – uh, you know, because they open up their church sometimes to, to homeless people, right? A lot of mm-hmm. churches do. Well, what do you do if you got somebody in there who, who like, refuses to leave? Well, now what are you going to do? What are they going to do if that person hurts somebody? Right. Uh, and, and they're going to they're, they're gonna, they're gonna train their people with, like, conflict resolution and self-defense classes. Hmm. Okay. Well, good luck for them. Yeah. I know the I, police, if the police are called, they're still going to show up there. But it's, it's kind of taking a cheap political shot at the police department. Basically. I think it's I think it's really unfair. Do, do, I, I mean, absolutely. Do we need to have a debate about the the relationship police, the law enforcement have with the communities that they work in? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been coming for a while on a number of fronts. I mean, I've been a critic of of, for instance, the the sort of paramilitary style that police have law enforcement has has embraced, where even their terminology, not not the least their equipment has become almost militaristic. I, I think that's a fair criticism. And I, I think when you embrace that that point of view, you also embrace, if you take a militaristic point of view, well, militaries fight enemies. And so if, if law enforcement is military, who's the enemy? Is it us? And is that what we want? I mean, I, I want my cops to be more problem solvers. But anyway, interesting approach, just never going to call the cops. I don't know that I would announce that to the world. Not publicly, but again, because I kind of feel like you say, just come steal our stuff. Right. I hope it works out for him. Good luck, I guess. Josh Boucher coming up next. After that, open phones with Congressman Kevin Kramer at 1:30. You can call in. This is the Rob Report. Hour two, coming up. I just got a text from a friend, Eric, and the friend told me he just realized my friend's got a lot of tattoos, and he just realized he says that we've reached a point in society. Where like, like it used to be that getting a tattoo was was edgy and everything, mm-hmm. and he's realized that now not having a tattoo is what's edgy. <laughs> You're kidding me. And he says I've come full circle. Like I used to be a uh, cool guy, and now I've come full circle, and now I'm uh, I'm one of the dorks. So I'm finally cool again. That because I don't like tattoos well, and I would not let's get not, one, But let's not, let's not get crazy. Okay. Let's not get crazy. I, I thought there Eric. was a chance I could finally be in your. Your circle of coolness. Not in my circle. I Well, <laughs> not in my circles. All right. It is like, I mean, I, I do feel that way, though. Like, it used to be, once upon a time, you saw a guy with a neck tattoo. You were pretty sure he was going to try to eat your eyeball with a fork, right? <laughs> like, this dude's been in prison, and now he's going to kill me. That used to be the thing. And now it's pro- more likely that that person's going to invite you to their knitting collective. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far kind of what it seems like anyway coming up uh we now have uh, on the guest 
This hour, in a moment, going to be talking with Secretary of State candidate Josh Moshe. Of course, he's also a state representative from District 44. Uh, and uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on, uh, as he is every Wednesday, to take your calls. Um, and you can call and ask him about anything. It's your time. It's an open phone segment, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. All right, joining me now is uh, Josh Moshe, state representative, candidate for Secretary of State. Josh, how you doing? Hey, Rob, doing all right. How about yourself? Pretty good. You got any tattoos you want to disclose to us, Josh? Or are, I, you, uh, are you tattoo-free? I am tattoo-free. You know, I, I've thought about it. I just don't know what I want on my body for the rest of my life. Yeah. I have no opposition to one. It's just, you know, what do I don't, you I don't know that there's a right answer to that. Like, what? Does anybody get a tattoo that they don't end up regretting? Like, just, ugh. Right. What did I do? Yeah. All right. So, uh, a lot's changed since the last time we talked in your race. It has been an interesting two weeks, that's for sure. Well, tell us about it. What's, uh, how are you feeling about everything? Well, you know, I, I got into this race uh, expecting Al Jager to be my opponent, um, you know, uh, looking at the, uh, his lack of modernizing the office, uh, the stumbling blocks he's gone over in the last decade especially, um, and, you know, then to find that the, the GOP convention, that they decided that they wanted to go with someone else and picked Will Gardner. Um, and then we find ourselves where, you know, Will had something in his past that uh, he wasn't wanting to move forward with the race and so withdrew. And now Al's in the process of trying to run as an independent. So we're back to, to running against the incumbent. Do you feel that um, do you feel that, that Will made the right decision pulling out? Well, it sounds like, you know, he made the decision for him and, and his family. And so I think that's certainly an important consideration for anyone running for office you know but the campaign itself is hard but then holding office and the commitments that come with that um you know it, it takes the support from your family and friends and and it sounds like will you know wanted to focus on his time with them versus the campaign we saw some people defending will gardner which i don't understand for my part i thought his behavior was reprehensible i wasn't aware of it certainly if i'd been aware of it i would have made it i would have published it long ago mm-hmm. um was not aware of it and uh when it came out i was shocked uh immediately felt in fact before he resigned hours before he ended up ultimately uh, pulling out of the race i i wrote that he should do just that um he uh some people are defending him and and have tried to compare the situation to you in a couple of ways first of all noting that you also have some some misdemeanors on your on your criminal record josh which ultimately that's mm-hmm. what will was charged with in that case was uh he was charged with a more serious crime he ended up pleading to a uh, a misdemeanor so comparing that to you in that situation josh and asking why you don't resign from the race because you also have misdemeanors on your record uh and also uh, a talk radio host scott hennon brought up uh your sexuality in in the con your, your sexual orientation in the context of all of this um, re- re- respond to those two, and I, I, the, the second I think is pretty repugnant, and I don't even know what, if anything, you want to say about that. But, but the first charge, the misdemeanors on your record, if we're going to make an issue out of Will Gardner's misdemeanor, shouldn't you explain your own? Well, certainly, you know, and, and I've um, stood behind, well, I've said I'm sorry for uh, the arrest that I had that had to do with my driving record. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's it's a common occurrence for a lot of North Dakotans uh, to get behind the wheel after they've had a couple of drinks, and and you know I was held accountable for that. Um, so I've owned that. Um, you know the voters have elected me twice, uh, knowing that background. You, along with other media, have you know let folks know what different elected lawmakers have on their records. Um, and even in 2013, you know I voted to strengthen the DUI laws uh, that were on the books. So 
you know, my, I think my record speaks for itself as well as my, my time of service in terms of that was a big part of my past that I'm not proud of. Um, I own it and move forward. Um, what, what about the, I, I, do you have anything you want to say about, you know, Scott Hennon? And again, I, I don't understand it. It's not just Scott. I've seen a lot of people bring this up, um, that, you know, your sexual orientation is sinful or, or whatever. And, and that's all Will was doing was just something that was sinful. I mean, that was, I, I don't know. I wrote a column about that. I obviously wasn't very pleased with the comparison, but, but hearing that, I mean, what, what thoughts went through your head? Yeah, you know, it was it was a reminder to me that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in our in our state and our country in trying to understand tolerance and, and love for every one of our neighbors, regardless of who they are or who they love. And I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of, of my relationship with my partner and the family and the support I've had in my uh, friend network. And, and, and I've been fortunate. I've not lost a job. I've not lost uh, friends or family because of who I am. But that's an unfortunate reality for a lot of folks. And so... I'm not naive to know that there are people out there that feel that way. I just hope that, you know, they continue to see my record of service and commitment to our state uh, and can win them over that way. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. You started off this interview talking about it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. You, you were expecting to be running against longtime incumbent Al Jagger. Will Gardner won at the convention earlier this year, so you readied yourself to campaign against him. Now it sounds like you'll be against uh, Jagger again. He's currently collecting signatures to put himself on the general election ballot as an independent um, it sounds like after the June primary, Will Gardner is going to decline the nomination. Which, which, by the way, I, I saw that that, that I, I saw you quoted in an article saying that 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 you, that you folks were going to have some Democrats looking into that situation. Do you think that's appropriate that Will Gardner? I mean, is that because that's how that's how uh, when I had NDGOP Chairman uh, Rick Berg on, that's how he characterized it to me as essentially when Gardner wins the primary, he can decline the nomination and then not appear on the general election ballot. I mean, is that your understanding of how that works as well? That, yeah, certainly my layman's reading of the law right now. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion folks have in terms of what a vacancy is versus declining the nomination. Um, and that's what I've seen, you know, different attorneys on, on all sides. I think the libertarians are looking at it as well um, to see, you know, can someone be taken off the ballot? Um, and I think the concern more is not necessarily this case specifically, but what precedent does it state? So to make sure that we're following the law and however we do that. Um, yeah. and, and especially with Secretary of State being an incumbent who has a vested interest in that is making sure that he's following the law that, that benefits yeah. all North Dakotans, not just his well, right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know why we'd want to fight. I mean, if, if the law requires Will Gardner to be on the ballot for an office he has no intention of taking, um, I, I don't know how it serves the public interest to have that. I mean, if that, I agree with you, we should follow the letter of the law. But if that's what the law requires, I feel like that law should be changed. I feel like if Will Gardner doesn't want to be in the race, he shouldn't have to be in the race. And we should have the race be a contest between the people who are in the race. And it sounds like it's going to be you. It sounds like it's going to be libertarian uh, candidate Roland Reimers and uh, and Secretary of State Al Jagger. I mean, I, I would rather just have voters be able to choose from there than to have them confused by a name of somebody who's on there who's has no intention of taking the office. What public what what public good does that serve? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think most folks I've talked to as they try to wrap their brain around this whole process and, and what those steps that go through it. Um, it also highlights to the public, I think, that kind of how um, obnoxious lawmaking and, and what's on the law and what's not on the law can be at times, especially when situations like this come up. So how are we flexible as a government 
uh, to meet the needs, whether it's in business or, in this case, elections. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, okay, so I, how, how has it changed at all, your, your approach to this? Because, again, when you started this out, you and Will Gardner were saying a lot of the same things about the incumbent, Al Jagger. You were saying a lot of the same things about uh, his you know, his job performance, the technology in the office. You know, you, I certainly don't need to, to, to run down the litany for you. But honestly, I mean, I, I don't know that there was a lot of daylight between you and Will Gardner, at least when it came to the status quo in the Secretary of State's office. Uh, the two of you sounded remarkably alike, and I thought it was actually going to be interesting to see the two of you score out once Jagger was out, because neither of you, once he was out of the race, neither of you were going to be able to campaign. But now Jagger's back in. Walk us through all that. Yeah, you know, we're back to um, it, it's essentially the same message, like I said, Will had. Um, we got to modernize that office, um, and that was agreed upon at the GOP convention. Um, I hear it continually as I travel the state, uh, business owners and nonprofit leaders who, you know, it's amazing to me how many people have a story about their interaction with the office. I will say this, though. Um, everyone loves the staff in that office. I think there are some stellar staff that, um, whether it's on the elections division or it's the nonprofit side or the LLC side, everyone says that they have a hero in that office that's able to make things work for them. They're just frustrated with how long it takes, and it doesn't make sense that we can't do most of these processes online. You know, as I've been saying since day one of getting into this race, our job in government is to provide the services that are needed and then get out of the way. And right now, we're in the way of, of business. Um, I'm, I'm in, sitting in my car right now taking a break from the drone focus conference here in Fargo. And, you know, so we have this emerging industry that's serving the energy sector, the agriculture sector, you know, technology, real estate. It's, it's crossing all industries. And, you know, uh, an industry like that where people are constantly innovating and constantly moving to find out that they have to wait three to four weeks to have their business be an official business before they can get a line of credit, before they can purchase real estate, before they can do all those essential functions of their business. Um, it's kind of obnoxious. And and so that's the story we're going to tell as part of this campaign is that, you know, my time in the legislature, my time uh, at Hatch Realty here in Fargo has prepared me to understand the needs of business. You know, Al Jager has served his time. Uh, 25 years is plenty of time to try to get things done. And, and I think if he was getting things done, he'd have a different argument. But um, he hasn't accomplished much. It's taken 10 years to get this online system going. Um, and you can point fingers at whoever you want, but in the end, it's who's in the driver's seat. Uh, yeah. And we need to make sure that the right person's driving the bus so that we can get out of the way. You, you just said something really interesting. You said, you know, essentially that, that everyone loves the staff in that office, basically talking about the Secretary of State staff. And I can I can add myself to that. Um, I work a lot with uh, the folks in the elections division. Obviously, when election time comes around, just, just getting information on candidate filings and stuff like that. They're very responsive. They're very helpful. Um, that was, that was a defense that when I, when I hosted a debate between Jagger and Gardner at the NDGOP convention, that was a defense that Jagger had of himself. He says, listen, I may not know all the ins and outs of technology. I may not be an IT developer. Will Gardner has, has a pretty extensive IT background. He goes, I may not be an IT developer, but I hire good people. Aren't you kind of backing up that argument that he just said? I mean, maybe, I mean, no, I don't think anybody expects you know, an elected officer to be, you know, down, you know, cracking open servers and, and doing all the wiring and everything himself. I don't think anybody expects that. Um, I think we expect him to hire good people. Isn't that what you just said? Is that Al Jagger hires good people? 
Yeah, you know, he's hired some of the, the best folks, and I think he has some of the highest morale of public employees. But again, it comes down to his leadership. It comes down to how is he leading that office so that those people can be even more successful in their jobs and meet the needs of business owners throughout the state. Um, you know, again, uh, 10 years to get this process and, and over $10 million of taxpayer money going to to a system that's probably going to be outdated already the day it comes out, you know. I visit with the business community, and from what I'm hearing, um, his office has not sat down with anyone from the contracting community, from yeah. uh, National Federation of Independent Business, Chamber, to even test run this, to say, what do you guys want? How do we make this more efficient? It's, I think it's being created by the IT division, um, and it's being created for the people who use the system on the back end, not the users who need to use it once a year to make sure it's friendly and appropriate. Josh, it's all the time we got. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll we'll get you on. Well, maybe we'll try and get you and Al on at the same time at some point, and we can have a have a nice discussion. Well, that sounds great. You know, the last time we signed off, you said that about me and Will. So I, hope, yeah, I did. Uh, I hope it works out. I did. Time. Yeah. Hopefully this time. <laughs> hopefully this time we can make it work. Yeah, uh, uh, Josh. Thanks as always for your time. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up in the next segment. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this. Am I, and, and listen, I, I understand that um, people think I talk about the Senate race too much or that I'm just, I'm just out to get Heidi Heitkamp or whatever. Still, Eric, am I the only one who's scratching his head at this 180 flip-flop Democrats have done on Donald Trump all of a sudden in North Dakota anyway? I don't know because I don't follow Heidi that closely. Um, I know that she has done some bills or some legislation with the Republican Party or and or Donald Trump because she serves a Republican state. So I think in some cases she's done a pretty decent job of reflecting see, the views of what the people hear, but not in every case. See, but it's, and it's, it's not even right now. It's not even about the voting record right now. It's about the political messaging. That's what I'm tracking. And in the political messaging, I mean, last week, Donald Trump was, was signing a, a banking bill and both Kevin Kramer and Heidi Heitkamp supported that bill. They were both there, you know, when they kind of have that signing ceremony where the president signs it and all the different Congress people who sponsored it or were, key votes for it or whatever are gathered around him. And Democrats literally like bragging about how that Heidi Heitkamp got to stand closer to Donald Trump than Kevin Kramer did. I is mean, that that's where one, they're at. Is that the one where the ad shows that uh, Kevin Kramer kind of has this frowny face on a portion yeah, of it? that's <laughs> the one. And they, they play. It is funny. I mean, it's funny. There's no question about it. But I'm just scratching my head because in, in 2000, here, here's something that they wrote. In 2016, I'm reading now, this is directly from a North Dakota Democratic Party press release. This is what they said. All of North Dakota's elected statewide Republicans have refused to distance themselves from or speak out on Trump, Donald Trump's patent lack of fitness and temperament to serve as president of the United States. That was a, that was a, that was a press release they put out in 2016. Here's another one. This came out when, when that infamous Access Hollywood tape came out about Donald Trump. Uh, Democrats pounced. They said, how in the world did John Hoven, Kevin Kramer, Doug Burgum, and North Dakota's Republican candidates uh, the rest of the way down the ticket continue to ignore this man's vile comments as he seeks the most important job in the world? Uh, If his perceived entitlement to women's bodies doesn't stop Republican officials from supporting him, will anything? 
That was their position on Donald Trump circa 2016. Now in 2018, there's a tweet. I mean, this is this is from Sean Higgins, who works as uh, he's a communications flack for Heitkamp's campaign. He's tweeting a National Journal headline, uh, and he's going, "Oh my God, this headline! Kramer upset. Trump likes Heitkamp." Like that's that's where they're at. Like it's like a middle school popularity contest where the Democrats are casting it as Heidi Heitkamp and Kevin Kramer, like uh, two people trying to be friends with the popular kid. You're telling me that's not a departure from 2016? I mean, come on. I I, I know you're not saying that. I, that's I, hi, hypothetically, mm-hmm. <laughs> rhetorically. I'm asking that question. I mean, it, to me, I'm just looking at this like, what what through the looking glass bizarre world are we living in right now? Well, I think we're at a. I think it just comes down to the fact that there are some policies and things that Donald Trump is getting done that Americans are liking and Democrats stuck their finger in the air. And so they figured out from time to time they might have to look like they're citing or at least a part of it. I think but I think when you go from calling the man vile. Right. Which the North Dakota Democrats part, they, they call him vile in 2016. And now in 2018, it's like, oh, look, Trump likes Heidi Moore. I mean, do, do you not? To me, I I see hypocrisy there. I mean, to me, that is that is some high octane hypocrisy. If you're going to pull off a flip flop like that, how can you go from he's vile to oh he likes our candidate? And then in the other breath, saying that uh, Kevin Kramer is a lackey of the president. Yeah. Oh, but look at how close he uh, Heidi got to stand next to him. That's what they're doing right now. Like I'm not making this up. This is what they're doing. This is how they're posturing themselves. And it, I mean, it kind of, it stinks a little bit like desperation. I mean, this seems like a Hail Mary from a campaign that's losing right now. I, I think, and I, I'm, I, I say that, I don't think, I don't, I don't know that Heitkamp's going to lose. But I think right now, at this moment in the campaign, I think they feel like they're losing. And they got to do something. And, and here's my other question, Eric, is how does all this Trump loves Heidi stuff... How does that survive Trump inevitably coming to North Dakota and campaigning for Kevin Kramer? Oh, it won't. Yeah. So so they're investing all this capital. Oh, Trump loves Heidi. And then Trump comes here and holds a rally and goes full Trumpy on Heidi Heitkamp. Now what now what happened to your narrative? Anyway, well, we can talk with uh, Kramer himself about this coming up next. I have a feeling Kevin's going to have some provocative things to say about this, Eric. Oh, I would believe so, yes. And by the way, we, we're taking phone calls as well. So if you have a We question. are. You can call in. You can ask whatever questions you want. And I should add, as I always do, at the beginning of each week, I invited Senator Heitkamp on this program for an interview uh, and received no response, as is usually the case. So we have Kevin on every week. Happy to have Heidi on, too, but they don't do it. More to come. This is the Rob Report, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Send me tweets, too, at Rob Port. Get your questions in now. We'll be right back with the congressman. Welcome back, Rob. Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, you can tweet me as well at Rob Port. All right, it's open phone time with Congressman Kevin Kramer. Uh, we can call in. You can ask him whatever you want. He's available with you. Kevin, how's it going? It's going very well. Thanks, Rob. I'm actually in Grand Forks today. I'm Heading over to the Grand Sky UAB Park and going you know, to tour some of the businesses up there and get the latest and greatest on what's going in, uh, going on at the uh, Grand Sky Park and of course uh, all other things UAB and in, in North uh, Eastern North Dakota. So pretty cool. 
Yeah, interesting stuff going on. Uh, interesting stuff going on in the Senate race. You know, in 2016, I remember the North Dakota Democrats, they're saying Don, President Trump was vile. They were calling on people like you and John Hoven and Governor Burgum uh, to distance yourself from him. Uh, they were saying he was unfit to be president. Uh, today, I look at my Twitter feed, and it's all uh, Democratic Party operatives and, and Senator Heitkamp's campaign staff all tweeting about how much President Trump loves their candidate. They love Heidi Heitkamp a lot. And, and it, apparently, you're really upset about it, Kevin. Yeah, I, I've... It's amusing to me that people think I'm upset about it because, as I uh, told the reporter that did this story that originated at Political, the more Senator Heitkamp tries to be like me, the more flattering it is to me, and the more it it more it uh, illustrates why why would you need uh, a Republican wannabe if you can have the Republican, or or you know why why would we have any um, concern about somebody who is a Trump supporter when he's running against somebody who wants people to believe that they're a Trump supporter. It's, it's, it's just ironic. And you've touched on something that's, I think, not lost on most observers. Now, uh, part of it, because last week as well, we, we saw a report, was it for the Washington Examiner, Washington, one of those, it was a report that you had visited President Trump in the White House mm -hmm. and that you yeah. had gone there to complain that he was being too nice to Heidi Heitkamp and he wasn't doing enough to, to support your campaign. Did you visit the White House, and can you characterize what that conversation was? <laughs> well, I, I, I visited. I didn't visit the White House. I visited the uh, old executive office building or the Eisenhower building, as they call it. Um, and I do go over there from time to time to visit with the legislative staff or visit with, in this case, it was the political affairs staff and the personnel staff. It had nothing to do with complaining about uh, President Trump or or the campaign. It was more just to you know catch everybody up on what we were doing and and you get caught up in what they're doing and what plans the president might have uh, for the campaign going forward. And But, it was, no, there was no – we talked about some personnel matters as well, uh, but there was no complaining about the president not supporting me. My goodness, I don't know that I could ask for much more from him than he's provided and continues to provide. The best thing the president can provide for me is a good economy and, and strong national defense and all the types of policies that have been good for North Dakota. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. So uh, you, you, you went there, you, you met with him. Where, where's all these reports coming from then? All, all these, cause I mean, now it's the Washington Examiner. Now it's, it's Politico and we're getting all these reports that you're upset with President Trump because he's not doing enough to support you and he's doing too much to be, to be friendly to Heidi Heitkamp. Well, it was interesting because when I saw, like, for example, the political story, it never really states that very specifically. It, it says that there's a couple of people in the White House that say that. Well, the interesting thing about it, when you read the political story, the rub seems to be between factions within the White House, not with me. And as you read the story, and as I've dug into it a little bit, obviously I've made a couple of calls, that seems to be the issue, that there's some people in the White House that think that, you know, the president's been too friendly to her. There are other people in the White House. I think you saw in the case of the story, he went on a record, Mark Short, who Mark Short is the director of legislative affairs. And if Mark Short was real, very good at his job, he, you know, we'd have a repeal and replacement of Obamacare. We'd have a replacement of the, of the uh, venting and flaring rule. And uh, so Mark Short seems to be part of the issue. And there just seems to be an argument between Mark Short and other people in the White House. But really, well, it centers around the campaign, I guess, or at least the president's treatment of Senator Heitkamp. It's really not instigated by me. Um, I, I, I think people in other parts of the uh, 
in other parts of the country are more intrigued by it than North Dakotans are. I think that other places are not as used to a congressional delegation that's together as often as we are, or a place like North Dakota where people are as nice to one another as are friendly in our politics as we are. And so I think for, for other observers, it's more, I don't know, more peculiar, I guess, than it is for us. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Send me tweets at Rob Port. Uh, okay. So, and I, I just, because again, it's, it's odd to me that I'm, I'm watching this happen with, mm-hmm. with the Democrats, you know, really investing a lot of political capital and, and look at how right. friendly and, and, and to a certain extent, of course, President Trump and his administration have at times made overtures to Senator Heitkamp. They had a legislative sure. agenda that they wanted to get through the Senate. She's a key right. vote. Uh, she's probably being from a pro-Trump state uh, politically, if not, you know, in, in her heart of hearts. Uh, she she kind of has to be pro-Trump, at least in some ways. If, I mean, that's, it's just politically untenable for her not to be. Of course they're going to court her and try to get her uh, on the side of, of, for instance, tax reform and other things. They wanted her votes on those things. That's not surprising. What's surprising to me is Democrats, a, a Democratic Party, again, not talking about the National Democratic Party, the North Dakota Democratic Party, that has gone from calling the president vile, gone from calling the president unfit for office, now suddenly like, oh, look, uh, Heidi Heitkamp got to stand closer to President Trump at this bill signing that Kevin Kramer did. He's so sad. I'm sure you saw that video, which admittedly was kind of a funny video. I laughed a little it, it bit, I will admit. I, I was, you know, what's interesting about it is I was standing, as you noticed that if you saw the video, I was standing right behind him. I actually held his chair for him and slipped it underneath him as he sat down, um, it, which was fine. And and she's, you might have noticed she sort of stepped out in front of him, even turned her back to the media a little bit. To, I don't know exactly what she was doing. It was, it was a bit odd. Um, but again, I'm find it more amusing that she's trying to beef up her Trump credentials to prove herself worthy of being my opponent, whose credentials, as it relates to Donald Trump, aren't really in question. And um, there's a you know there's a whole voting record, as I keep saying, all of this stuff doesn't matter. There's an entire voting record for five and a half years of the same Congresses that, that her and I have been parts of. And, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to have photo ops or, or uh, you know, bill signings to, to demonstrate that. So I, I, it, to me, it's more amusing than it is anything. But I agree with you in the sense that you see this entire North Dakota Democratic Party going through these gyrations to, on the one hand, despise and, and hate Donald Trump and make sure the rest of the country or the rest of the state thinks that he's a failure, while at the same time trying to take credit for his successes. I would point, uh, point out that um, when it comes to Senator Heitkamp's Trump credentials, she's never been a reliable vote for him. She, on the things that matter the most, she's never been there. On the appointments that she's voted for, um, they've been, you know, the day after I, I put the pressure on her rhetorically and publicly at the request of the White House, I might add. Uh, even this little uh, banking bill was something that, you know, we've sent over 40 of these types of bills to the Senate that she's never been interested in until all of a sudden I become a candidate for the Senate and put pressure on it. And all of, all of a sudden she swore, a little bit of regulatory relief, and when I say a little, I mean very little bit of regulatory relief for the banking industry. So it's, I think it's pretty apparent to most most observers, Rob, and in some respects it even smacks of a desperation that, that I don't think very many people find appealing. Uh, for sure. Now, just just to be clear, I, I have been told that President Trump is at some point during the campaign going to come to North Dakota and rally for you. And I, I ask you that question. I realize maybe it's not set yet. Maybe there's stuff you don't want to reveal. I don't know. Uh, sure. But I, I feel like at some point he's coming here. 
And when he sure. does, I feel like we're going to get the same President Trump we typically see at these rallies, and that he's probably going to have a thing to do to, or two to say about Senator Heitkamp, which are going to be critical. How sure. does I mean I, I don't understand why they're investing so much in the strategy when Trump is clearly at some point going to come here and campaign for you. Well, I think it's with some risk, obviously, Rob. But I also think it's, as I said earlier, I do think it's illustrative of desperation. And if they didn't have to do it, they didn't have to cozy up to him and, and didn't have to run ads saying, really, I'm, a, I'm really a Trump person, too, really, believe me. Um, I think that they wouldn't be. If they didn't have to, they wouldn't be. And I, I, that's what I think is driving this. You pointed to it earlier. I mean, Trump won the state by 36 points. He remains popular in the state. His policies are wildly popular, including the ones that she hasn't supported. Things like regulatory rollback for the energy industry and agriculture. Things like rollback of taxes, repeal replaceable Obamacare, uh, repealing you know the uh, the incentives for sanctuary cities to to harbor violent illegal immigrant criminals, um, the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, there's a whole host of things that she would like us to forget. And um, I would expect a lot of those things would come up at a Trump visit. So you're right. It has a chance of making them look very foolish. But I think they're in a situation where that risk is worth taking right now if she could establish somehow that she's a Trumpster, too. On yesterday's show, I was I had a columnist, a former Grand Forks Herald publisher, columnist Mike Jacobs, my good friend. I'm sure uh, a friend of yours as well. Uh, I had him on the program, and then after the program, I actually spoke with a, a Republican, a longtime you know sort, sort of Republican involved in state politics. They both mm-hmm. sort of made the argument they feel like Heitkamp's got some of the momentum now, and they feel like you really haven't engaged yet, and that you've been spending you know a lot of time fundraising and haven't really been out and visible and and running ads and doing some of the other <laughs> stuff. Your your response to that at this point? Yeah, my response to that is I've spent five and a half years being very engaged with the North Dakota public, and she's just catching up. She's just starting what I've been doing for five and a half years. I've never heard her on your show. Um, I've never yeah, heard that's, that's not for lack of trying, shows. by the way. It's- yeah, of course not. But but she's avoided the public for five and a half years, and for I don't know what reasons that you know, she's done that. I don't know if it's. I really don't. I don't know why it is. She she's been known previous to this as a pretty engaging politician, and she's largely checked out for the last five and a half years. She she holds some of these round the table types of things where you invite guests and sort of give them cue cards, but. Um, in terms of direct involvement, she she couldn't run enough ads to catch up. I, I mean, I think Mike is, uh, you know, he's a smart enough guy, but let's face it, he's a very partisan Democrat who's he all but created some United States senators in the past. So it's not surprising that he tried to have that narrative, but... Um, no, she got a long way to go to catch up in terms of mind, in terms of engagement with the voters of North Dakota. I suppose because it is campaign season, but you guys are actually legislating somewhat off right, there in Washington right, right. D.C. What's this right to try legislation? I just saw come sailing. Yeah, through. really good stuff, and and I've been a co-sponsor and a supporter of right to try, uh, the right to try legislation. The president talked about it in his uh, in his um, State of the Union address, and what it is is it's it's what allows people with terminal illnesses to to try experimental um you know whether it's drugs or treatments of various sorts that may not yet be on the market may not yet be you know be certified but but they're experimental and uh, you know most countries and in, in fact in a lot of countries uh, american citizens themselves if they can afford to if they have a terminal illness will go to another country to to try 
you know, some sort of treatment that's not available in the United States. So we want to loosen those regulations in the United States and allow people who are dying to try something that's not yet uh, available on the market, not yet approved by the FDA. So it's pretty fundamental. It makes all the sense in the world, I think, to most people. But for some reason, to our bureaucracy, it, it has not made sense. And um, we, you know, we just want to loosen that up a little bit. Again, it's high priority for the president. We passed it in the House of Representatives, and um, you know, look forward to making it available to more people. But you're right. Last week we passed, imagine the, the National Defense Authorization Act, giving the largest pay increase to our troops in nine years. And um, I had a couple of amendments on that bill. Uh, we've got a very good things for North Dakota for our Army and Air National Guards, very specifically the aircraft that they fly. Same with the Air Force bases, both in Minot and Grand Forks. Uh, very big news, but you're not going to read about it because it passed so easily and because um, you know, I guess it's just not very sexy. But that was big legislation last week, as well as the VA Mission Act that we passed in the House last week that, that further approves or, or authorizes the, uh, the VA Choice Act and even consolidates some of the programs. So it's in a, you know, a lot more easy to, to utilize by, uh, by our veterans for, so they can get care where they live, uh, as well as at the VA. So there's just been a lot of good legislation going on that doesn't get a lot of attention. Kevin, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. We're all out of it. Pleasure is always mine. Thanks, Rob. Talk to you next That's week. Congressman Kevin Kramer, he's on every Wednesday at one thirty. And like I said, I do invite Senator Heitkamp to have some equal time on this program every week and never receive a response. So oh, we'll wrap up the show right after this. Don't go away. Go Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. We just got a couple of minutes left here. Went a little long with the congressman. Tomorrow, uh, what are we doing on the show tomorrow, Eric? I don't know what I'm doing on the show. I don't know. I'm the only one of those. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure it out tonight, tomorrow maybe. <laughs> I, it's so hard to book these shows so far ahead. I don't think, and not that I'm complaining. Believe me, I love this job. I know how lucky I am to do it. Um, one of the challenges, though, is I'll book guests and then something will happen, and then I'll wish I'll had other guests, which is not an insult to the guests that I've booked, just a feeling that, boy, I wish I had different guests. I would be a little more right. topical. But. Yeah, I can't really think of anything that's uh, pressing. Obviously, we've already talked about the major, major stories, including the Roseanne Barr situation, and this goes on and on. So Yeah, I'm sure stuff will happen. I am working. I will say this. I am working, and it sounds like we're going to get – uh, we'll have a couple of debates on this program. It sounds like we're going to have a debate between the House candidates, um, Kelly Armstrong and Max Schneider. Uh, we're just working on dates. Um, I was looking at a date for next month, but it, it sounded like it might be a little bit later in the election cycle. And I, I suppose having one a little bit closer to Election Day would probably get a little more attention, too, on the show. Maybe a little more relevant, right? I would I would say you could actually, you know do something with Fargo candidates, but there's 17 of them running in every election. So you, can't really do I don't that know how either. to do that on a program. We'd have to, we'd have to commit a month to that. Right. So, you know, um, no, I mostly, I was just looking at the statewide races. Uh, I asked jo- Josh Boucher earlier on this program. We'll probably have him and uh, secretary of state Al Jagger on the show to do that. Um, we'll try a Senate one. I'll, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do with the Senate rate. I'll, I'll invite both candidates on. And if Senator Heitkamp doesn't want to come on and engage Kevin Kramer, then we'll just do an hour with him. That's what we'll do. I think it's unfortunate, but we'll do that. So we'll, we'll try to, I mean, I'm going to try to get all the statewide races on this show. We'll have a nice little debate. We did it in the last cycle as well. We had on, uh, we had on everybody in that cycle. So that was good. That was a good show. 
that's it for today. Jay Thomas Show. Straight ahead. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.